Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Let me read this for us. This is what God's word says. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we ask now for your help in understanding the truth of your word and receiving it by faith. We ask that by your spirit, you would open our eyes and incline our heart to your testimonies, the testimony of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is, all that he is. Point us to him, we ask in his name. Amen. Well, we come this morning to yet another healing miracle of Jesus and that of the devastating condition of leprosy, which we've seen before. We've seen even within Luke's gospel, Jesus healing uh, lepers. But as always the case in the healing accounts that have been recorded and preserved for us, we need to focus our attention on the unique details of that specific healing. Because after all, Jesus healed and performed miracles innumerably more than is recorded in Scripture. And the Apostle John, as he finishes his, uh, his gospel record at the very end of the Gospel of John, the final verse in John 21, verse 25, he concludes with this. He says, now there were many other things that Jesus did. And if every one of them were to be written, then I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did a lot more miracles than we see in the Bible. So if that's the case, then it would suggest that each of the select healing accounts that the Holy Spirit chose to include in the biblical text has been purposefully ordained to convey a specific message for our instruction. And in this account of the healing of the ten lepers, that message is this, that you can sincerely want all the gifts that God gives, that you could joyfully and passionately seek out all the blessings that come from his hand. And even so, all the while, never be converted and transformed within to want God, to want him. It is so very possible to desire all the benefits of salvation in the gospel, but have no desire for the person of salvation, the Savior himself. And all of that is to press the point that salvation is not just a plan, but salvation is ultimately a person. The gospel is all about God. The good news of bringing sinners, yes, out of darkness, out of judgment, out of condemnation, but ultimately to bring sinners back to him. 
being reconciled to him through Christ so that we might know and love and treasure him, his person, his presence, and to behold his face and worship him. You know, we often focus exclusively on how we are saved, and that's important. But we do so to the neglect of asking the ultimate question of why we are saved. And it is this, that we might be enabled to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and so live to glorify Him as we were created to do, by delighting in His beautiful glory, which He has graciously revealed through Jesus Christ. And this is so powerfully illustrated here in the healing of the ten lepers, where of the ten, the eyes of only one leper were opened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now it begins in verse 11 as we see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And if you recall, we saw earlier in chapter 9, verse 51, that pivotal verse in Luke's gospel where Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And it was from that point on that he was determined to go to the cross. And periodically, as here in uh, chapter 17, verse 11, Luke gives this recurring reminder that Jesus was journeying through towns and villages, not aimlessly, but consciously taking each step closer to the cross that awaited him to accomplish the work of salvation for sinners. And on this particular day, Jesus passed through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And this is important later because the one leper, we are told, was a Samaritan. And so as Jesus is passing through the region, he stops by and enters a village where ten lepers, men afflicted with leprosy, they call out to him and ask to be healed. Now, what is leprosy exactly? Well, it was a ravaging disease that primarily expressed itself in severe disfigurement of the skin. But it wasn't just a skin problem. It wasn't just because someone stood out in the sun too long or, or burned themselves on the stove. But it was a deep-seated internal problem, a bodily disorder from within, and that it expressed itself on the skin. Now, it's difficult to pinpoint a modern equivalent with certainty. Some believe that leprosy is what we call today Hansen's disease. It might be. But whether or not that corresponds to biblical leprosy, what made leprosy so unbearable was not just the physiological problem of it all, as if the, the physical suffering were not horrible enough, but it was actually, on top of all of that, the spiritual ramifications of being a leprous man or woman. Because according to the Old Testament law, anyone with leprosy was pronounced ceremonially unclean which meant that the leper could not be part of the life of israel he was completely cut off from society because he was unclean cut off from being able to partake in worship at the tabernacle and later the temple now why what's up with this law it's because in the old testament Israel as a nation was designed to be an earthly microcosmic picture of heaven, being in the presence of God. And that's what the nation of Israel was, right? That God's glory was physically manifest dwelling among them within their borders. And so, 
that was reflective of heaven because according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it says of heaven that nothing unclean shall ever enter into it. So again, as a reflection of the environment of heaven, God gave, gave this instruction to Israel in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 to 46, that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Outside of the camp, within the borders of the presence of God. You see, the leprous man was a total outcast from society. Removed from the spiritual community that was Israel because he was ceremonially unclean. Cut off from from friends and family. Lived in total isolation. Always having to remain at great distance from the rest of the people of Israel who didn't have leprosy. And that's why, if you notice in verse 12, it says that the, these 10 lepers, they stood at a distance and had to cry out to Jesus at the top of their lungs because they were so far away. They couldn't come close to him or to any other Jew, all because they were ceremonially unclean. Now, of course, it's not that even in the Old Testament that being afflicted with leprosy was sinful or necessarily caused by sin. But it, it was just a disease, but God used it and employed leprosy to serve as a picture and symbol of spiritual uncleanness. That's what ceremonial uncleanness means, that it's a symbolic form of uncleanness, a representation of it. Now, for instance, when we talk about a wedding ceremony, it's not the ceremony itself, the wearing of the white dress, the, the putting on the ring on the finger, the exchanging of vows, the act in and of itself, the formality in and of itself that binds a man and a woman together in, in one flesh union. It is God who does that mysteriously, uniting them together. But the wedding ceremony is a form of it to represent, to depict what is actually going on internally that has been visible. And so in the same way, that's what leprosy was. As, a, as ceremonial uncleanness, it was depicting spiritual uncleanness. Now, why leprosy then? Well, if you look closely at in Leviticus chapter 13, there's a very specific way that God gives to Israel to diagnose whether someone really has leprosy and thus is ceremonially unclean, or if it's just a benign case of skin discoloration. And according to Leviticus 13, the diagnosis, the test to determine if, if someone has leprosy is if the hair on the skin has turned white, which means what? What does white hair mean? I'm sorry to everyone that has white hair, but it's <laughs> decay, aging. It's, it's, a, it's the vestige of death. And also, it's if the disease seems deeper than the skin, meaning it's not just some surface-level problem, but it's underneath the skin. And also, if the disease spreads like leaven, it cannot be contained, but it continues to pervade every part of the body. And if it eats away at the skin and doesn't heal itself with new skin, meaning that it cannot be healed. Leprosy is something that cannot be healed by your own body and flesh. And if these marks are hit, then it is leprosy. 
But you see what God was teaching and illustrating to Israel through this disease. He was teaching people the biblical doctrine of sin in pictorial form. It was through a picture book, not a textbook. You know, the Old Testament is primarily a picture book more than it is a textbook. And that's why he calls leprosy unclean to symbolically correspond to the nature of sin, which is, as it were, like spiritual leprosy. Because sin is an incurable disease that cannot be healed by our own flesh. And it is not a surface level dirtiness. It's not just because you do bad things, but it is a deep-seated corruption underneath our skin, polluting our hearts, even man's very nature. And sin is a disease that cannot be contained, but it spreads like leaven. It depraves every part of man, his mind, not just his actions, but his mind, his will, his perception, his judgment, his affections, such that there is no part or faculty of man that is left uncontaminated by the polluting effects of sin. It's a really big problem, corrupting our very nature and heart. We sin, we commit sins because we are sinners inside. And it is because of sin that death has entered this world and propagates its decaying effects on everything. That's why our bodies break down and the grass withers and the flower fades. It's because we live in a fallen world marred by sin. This is what sin is, you see. Spiritual leprosy that has rendered all of us spiritually unclean in God's eyes. And so every sinner by nature is cut off from God's holy camp, the dwelling place of God and his people, unable to worship him, alienated from him. And we cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot cure ourselves by wiping off the surface with good morals, with decent behavior. But this whole object lesson of leprosy, you see, was meant to show us our dire need for supernatural cleansing from inside out. A complete renewal of the whole person by the power of God's mercy and grace. Hence we see these lepers crying out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We've heard of you. We've heard that you can make us clean because you have the authority and power of God because you are the very Son of God. And so please be merciful to us and change us from being unclean to the status of being clean. And Jesus, when he saw them, and he heard them lifting up their voices, he said to them in verse 14, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now why did Jesus say this? Was he outsourcing the healing to the priest? No, not at all. Rather, according to Leviticus 14, when the leper had already been cleansed from leprosy, he was instructed to be brought to the priest, who upon examination and conducting an eight-day renewal ceremony, would formally pronounce the leper clean again. And then the leper would now be able to go back into the camp amongst God's people and be restored to society. You see, by telling these lepers to go and show themselves to the priest, Jesus was giving a command that assumed that they would be cured by the time they got to the priest. And that's exactly what happened in verse 14. That as they went, while they were going to the priest, suddenly 
miraculously, instantaneously, they were cleansed. Friends, this is the sheer power and authority of Christ to cure the incurable simply by his will. If anyone is here still unclean and unforgiven in their sin, put your trust in Jesus. See here how he can and will cleanse anyone of all of their uncleanness. Because that's what he's come to do. Not just to heal people of their physical ailment, and that those were just temporal signs to point to his ultimate work of cleansing us of our sin. That's why he set his face to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, where he would take the place of unclean sinners and bear their uncleanness upon himself and be punished on behalf of those he came to save so that our sins might be washed away by his blood. And if anyone confesses his sin and trusts in the truth and power of what Jesus did on the cross, and he will be forgiven of sin and be pronounced clean forever in God's eyes. You see, this is the grace and mercy of God that you can be a disfigured leper, hideous before him. But if you simply call out to him for mercy, even from afar, he can and will make you clean. There is no uncleanness too filthy for his cleansing power. That's what the healing of these 10 lepers shows us. The power of Christ to make clean the hopelessly unclean. But having said that, the important question, which is at the heart of this passage is, so then what? What are you cleansed for? Why has Jesus come to bring the forgiveness of sin and eternal life in him? It's what we see in this one leper out of the ten. Verse 15, as they went, they were cleansed. But then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This one leper was miraculously healed, as was the other nine. It was the happiest day of his life, wasn't it? Something he could only dream of, that one day he might possibly be freed from this bodily misery and return to normal life and health and wellness. And Jesus made it happen for him. How wonderful. But when it happened, something struck this man's heart. That even though he had received everything he ever wanted and hoped for in that moment, all the blessings that God could possibly give to him, having received them, he found himself yet still more captivated and gripped not by the healing but by the healer. And so he stopped while the other nine went on their merry way to show themselves to the priest. And he turned around and ran back to Jesus and he fell at his feet in worship. Why? Because he wanted Jesus himself to go back and behold the face of the one who had mercy on him. He wanted to be in his presence more than anything, as if this whole healing of leprosy was practically an afterthought, which is crazy to imagine. Think of how long he suffered and how much he would have waited and longed to, to be restored 
Back to all the privileges of being a normal citizen of society. But even more so, he was healed spiritually. His eyes opened to see the glory of Christ. Friends, this is the point of the gospel. Cleansed, forgiven, ransomed, redeemed. For what? For him. To return to him. That by the power of God's mercy in Christ, we might now be so happily enabled to live the life for which we were originally created to live, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To enjoy him forever. Yes, enjoy the things that he gives. Yes, and there is abundance of them. But ultimately to enjoy him that he would be the rightful object of our supreme satisfaction and worship more than anything and anyone in this world. In fact, think about what, what's implied by the actions of this one leper. Remember, he, he, had, he had lived for who knows how long, how many years and decades cut off from society, separated from friends and family. And only when he got to the priest could he then be pronounced clean and then and only then be able to return to normal society. And enjoy all the benefits awaiting, awaiting him. But this man, he was so captivated by Jesus, his very person, that he forsook it all in that moment and chose rather to go back to him to behold the Savior with overflowing thankfulness and adoration. Why? Because it was a godly thing to do? Because that's what you're supposed to do as a good Christian? Because that's, that, that's the right thing? I mean, yes, it is, but ultimately because his eyes had been unveiled to see the true glory and beauty of Christ. And he believed, he knew that as marvelous a blessing it was to be healed of leprosy, he found the greatest of all blessings, Christ himself, the blesser, the blessed one. And by stopping to return to him, putting off being pronounced clean and going back to society, the healed leper was saying in his heart, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. He got it. Church, do you get it? That salvation is not about getting things from God as good as those things are. But salvation is about getting God. This goes for even getting spiritual things from God. Your sins forgiven. Praise God. But why? Why is it so good? Just because you won't be punished anymore? Believe it or not, even unbelievers want that too. I mean, who wants to be punished? What makes the forgiveness of sins so sweet? Why God forgives sinners? so that we might be reconciled to Him and that we might return to a life of unhindered, perfect fellowship with Him, worshiping Him in His presence. And isn't that exactly what this one leper did? Before His healing, while He remained unclean, He didn't dare go near to Jesus. He couldn't. He was separated by His uncleanness. He could only call out to Him from afar. But the moment he realized he had been cleansed, what was his immediate instinct? What does he want to do more than anything in that moment? 
even laying aside the, the, the blessings that awaited him. He goes straight to the presence of Jesus. Those feet he only saw from a distance. He now throws himself onto those beautiful feet that carry the good news through every town and village, even to this man's village. You see, he got it. That even spiritual cleansing, all the benefits of salvation are not to terminate in and of themselves, but they are all channels that God has opened to bring us to the fountain of every blessing, Christ himself. He is the gospel. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Of what? The, go- the good news of what? The gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The glory of Christ is the good news. Because God has revealed His infinite glory and heavenly beauty to us through His Son. Who Jesus is, all that He is, His amazing grace, His relentless love for His people, His enduring patience, His never-failing faithfulness, His, His mercy towards sinners. All of that, He is the exact image of God because He is God. In human flesh. And it is through Jesus, seeing the wonder of who he is, that God glorifies himself and receives true worship from his people. I mean, do you, do you see what a glorious Christ he is? The, the spotless lamb of God, without any blemish or trace of sin, perfectly clean and holy, went willingly as a lamb to the slaughterhouse of Calvary. God the Son climbing up that hill, carrying a cross on his back, subjecting himself to abject humiliation, all to save worthless, unclean sinners like you and me, and giving us his worth. With inconceivable love, Christ gave himself for us. Church, do you see the glory of Jesus Christ? Has God actually opened your eyes to see what is so worshipful about Him? How praiseworthy He is, how excellent He is. Or is all this, this church-going venture, is it just a matter of going through empty motions? While truthfully, in your heart, you remain disinterested in God with no interest in knowing Him and beholding Him. And if so, the problem is that you think too highly of yourself. That's why you're blind to the magnificence of His grace. Because only those who see and acknowledge how unclean they really are can ever taste the sweetness of the mercy of Christ. That's what this, this one leper was like. Notice how Luke interrupts this narrative in verse 16. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Him things. Now he was a Samaritan! It was a little parenthetical insert as a, as a shock, a dramatic surprise. Now, why is it so surprising? Because the Samaritans were half-breeds, mixed blood of Jew and Gentile. And so they were viewed unclean. The background is that Samaria, where Jesus was passing through, Samaria was a city. It was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, ever since the regime of King Omri. And when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., 
the Assyrian Empire took over Samaria, the capital city, and the king of Assyria brought in all the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, from all other parts of the Assyrian Empire, scattered all abroad, and imported them into Samaria. And then the Israelites were left alive in Samaria, began intermarrying with them. And so they gave birth to what is called now Samaritans, half-breeds, mixed Jew-Gentile. And the, and the Jews, the southern kingdom, they began to despise the Samaritans because they viewed them as unclean and defiled because they had married outside of the faith, which God said, don't do. Do not marry an unbeliever. And by Jesus' day, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans were fever-pitched to the point that the Jews did not speak to the Samaritans because they were unclean. But all of this to say, this one leper who was a Samaritan, a foreigner, as Jesus calls him in verse 18. He was, in effect, doubly unclean, if you will. Unclean as a Samaritan and unclean with leprosy. Hopelessly unclean. And he knew it. He was self-aware. And that's why he was so touched by the grace of Jesus, who, though being a Jew, regarded him didn't despise his cries for mercy, but healed him. And that's what birthed in his heart, the new birth, a real affection and desire for Jesus. He was drawn to Christ, and his deepest desire was to be with Jesus more than to be with family or friends and the rest of society. But what about the others? Jesus says in verse 17, we're not ten cleansed, Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? See, the nine of the lepers, they they went their way happily receiving what Jesus gave. But they had no interest in Jesus himself. And that's a tragedy. Because while the nine were interested only in the gifts and not the giver, the one and only one sought the giver. Oh, how so many are like this. Perhaps even this ratio is an accurate assessment that can be applied today. That nine out of ten people want just what God can give them, but they do not want God. You know what? Let's narrow the pool even more. Nine out of ten religious people, church-going people, just want God to do things for them. Because notice how even these lepers... They were apparently religious. How do we know? Because Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And they knew exactly what he meant. They didn't go, huh, what's a priest? I remember one time I was talking to somebody and, and they asked me what, what, I, what, what I do and what I wanted to do for a living. I said, I want to be a pastor. This was before I entered the ministry. And he looked at me with blank stares and said, what's that? And I wanted to say to him, what are you? I mean, I was just befuddled. But... Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And they knew exactly what he meant. Why? Because they were religious. They knew where to find the priest. Jesus didn't have to give him directions. You see, even within the doors of churches, how many are those for whom Jesus is just a means of getting something from him? 
to get something outside of Him rather than getting Jesus. And some are perfectly happy and content and satisfied remaining at far distance from Jesus as long as He gives them what they want. But how few are those who are like the one Samaritan leper who truly encounter the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit, their hearts are changed and eyes open to see Christ as not merely the means, but to see Him as the ends, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord of infinite beauty, the treasure of heaven. This is true conversion and salvation of the soul. As Jesus says to the man in verse 19, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Literally there Jesus says, Your faith has saved you. In other words, you, the one Samaritan leper, you have real saving faith. Ten were healed that day, but only one was saved that day. Because Jesus was saying, you've received not just bodily healing, but you've received me, the very presence of God. This is the gospel of God's salvation. It is God ultimately giving sinners himself. And on the subject, John Piper has written a very helpful book, and the title of the sermon is borrowed from the title of his book, God is the Gospel. And in it, he writes this. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And my great fear and burden is that too many people sitting in the pews of churches Their answer is yes. They would be satisfied if Christ were not there. But church, understand this. Heaven without Christ is hell. Because Christ is what makes heaven so heavenly. Because Christ is heaven. He is the fullness of joy. He is eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus prayed... This is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, heaven is an eternity of knowing God and enjoying eternal fellowship with Him. And if you have no interest in that while on earth, then I guarantee you you will have no interest in true heaven and you will end up refusing to enter its gates. But do you see through all of this, the glory of Jesus Christ, the sheer grace of God in delighting to fellowship with the sinners that he has redeemed for all eternity. And if that is what makes heaven heaven, then how satisfying must he be? How beautiful must he be? How amazing and how undeserving it is that God Almighty 
in heaven should desire an intimate relationship with us to share and give us his very own self. You know, some of you are constantly weighed down by this burden of, oh, I, I want to feel close to God. I need to try better to feel close to God. Listen, rest your soul in the gospel. The good news of the God who has come close to sinners while we were far off and alienated from him. It's just as we sing, grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. And even now unto eternity, Christ is the one who is incomparably more willing and enthused to be near to his people and abide intimately with them than we are to him. This is what is so glorious and beautiful about our God. The only true God who has made himself known through Jesus Christ. It's not that we have loved him, but that he loved us and gave us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And it is by the power of his love communicated to us through Christ by his spirit. That he draws our hearts to him. That we might love and treasure him who is the fountain of divine love. And that is our supreme joy and rest and satisfaction because we were made for Him. We were created to abide in the love of our Father and Creator. This is the good news, that God rescues sinners and brings them back to Himself where we belong. You know, let me close with a word of encouragement to the Christian. Some of you have gone through excruciating trials in your life. Maybe you're going through them now in one way or another. Some of you have yet to, but you will one day. And when it comes, remember on that day that every pain and sorrow is God's searing love being pressed into your soul, sanctifying you and purifying your heart to draw you nearer and nearer to Him. You may wonder at times with tears of grief why God seems to be taking away from you good things or why it seems like everything in life is going wrong. But understand that through every trial and suffering, God is at work to write onto your heart and to write into your life the words of Psalm 73, where the psalmist, he bemoaned how everything just seemed to be falling apart and nothing made sense in his life. But through it all, his heart was being funneled to turn to God alone. And in the end, he learned to say as he concludes that psalm, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, 
we thank you for the wonder of the gospel that we can barely comprehend that you would give all of yourself to us and that we know because Christ who is your very image who is the very radiance of your glory who is very God of very God he gave all of himself for us that we might receive and have all of him And we thank you for giving us such a visible reminder of that in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Where we know and we believe by faith that Jesus said, this is my body and my blood. Take it, receive it. O Lord, we ask that you would now set apart these ordinary elements of the bread and the cup and use it to confirm that truth and to build us up in the most holy faith that we might take all of Christ and be satisfied and be nourished with all of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.